Hey, Indianapolis, you are invited to an amazing event on March the 5th at the beautiful Cabaret Theater, where the women of Rise and Thrive Indianapolis will take the stage to stand tall in their story. Go to www.wethrive.live slash events and check it out. Can't wait to see you there. Hey, this is Rebecca Fleetwood Hessian, and today Carrie Rousseau is on the show. And y'all, she's hysterical. At the time of this recording, I was fighting a little something, something that was going around. So you'll have to be patient with my crackly voice, but Carrie will have you in stitches. So my voice won't matter at all. I love Carrie being on the show just before the event that I'm hosting on March the 5th. Stand Tall in Your Story because Carrie has a very similar type of show that she does in Champaign, Illinois, which is the She Said Project, where she also brings great women together to tell their stories. And Carrie and I just have a rich discussion that goes across serious, hysterical, meaningful, and it's so indicative of the kind of conversations that we're going to be having on March 5th at the Stand Tall in Your Story event at the Cabaret Theater in Indianapolis. So I absolutely encourage you to go buy your ticket now. I'm confident this will sell out and tickets are selling pretty quickly. So grab your tribe, your council, your girl gang, your people and say, let's go have a fun night of food and drinks and great conversation and Laugh until, you know, stuff comes out your nose, which is what's going to happen at the end of this episode. So here's your warning at the end as this episode starts to wrap up. Don't have any drink in your mouth or be doing anything serious because Carrie ends up with a story about melanoma and the crack of your, as she says, fanny. And you'll just have to wait and see how that goes. But I was laughing so hard I couldn't even speak. So there's your warning. Here we go. Hey, Carrie, how's it going? Hey, good. How are you? I miss you. I'm so happy we're actually talking. I know. So we met when we both did a Listen to Your Mother show, gosh, a million and a half years ago. I know. Many crow's feet ago. It's so, it doesn't seem like it was that long ago, but I looked it up just the other day and it was like, wow, it's been several years, several years. Oh my gosh, that that was so, so fun. And many, many seeds were planted in my mind doing that show. And I'm still connected with all of those women in some way, whether it's social media or otherwise, like it's, it was amazing. And, and I remember at that show, as we were introducing everybody and you said, Hey, I'm, you know, wherever you are hours from me, mm-hmm. um, you're in Champaign, right? Yeah, Champaign, Champaign Illinois. Illinois. Yeah. I thought, Oh shit, she's not my neighbor. Like, I, I wanted you to be my neighbor. I wanted you to be the one that I could just like a couple of glasses of wine in, stumble across the street and be like, hey, girl, because I knew you'd be the one that just be like, come on in. Like, I, I already poured you glass. immediately. Yes. <laughs> yes. It was that sort of great. I was so nervous because I was coming to do an Indiana show. I think I was the only person from out of town. And I had that like middle school feeling in my gut of like, oh my gosh, I won't know anybody. What if they're not nice to me? 
And then, of course, everybody was, it was just fabulous. And an ensemble of women is like my favorite thing on the planet. And so that was a pretty sweet gig. And then I got to meet you. Well, and, you know, I think the fact that you had that middle school, middle school girl feeling, and I've talked about that, literally called it the same thing on the podcast before, is just a good reminder that we all have it. And I actually have personified that little girl in my head. And I now call her the little bitch in my head because oftentimes she's just not helpful. And, and so we all have it. We all have that fear or that insecurity and, and pushing through it is how you get to the good stuff. Yep. I always say I am the most outgoing shy person you will ever meet because I sit in the car, whatever the function is, it can be a a holiday party of people I love. And I'm sitting in the car, like you're strong enough, you're smart enough and doggone it. People like you, you know, I'm just sick the whole time in the car. And then once I'm there, I'm having a great time, but I'm out there. Like, is there something in my nose? What if I fall down? What if I fart at a silent moment? I mean, all of it just runs through my head and I'm 47 years old and I still have that. So I think the takeaway is even though you have all that, of course you do, we all do, but you do it anyway. It's so true. Well, I'm 53 and I haven't outgrown it yet either. So I don't think there's any any hope for us. And, and that's the whole point. And that's why I've personified her as the little bitch in my head. <laughs> and what I tell people to do is just put her in the passenger seat with a seatbelt and a snack, but she doesn't get to drive, right? That's she can right. be there, but she doesn't get to drive and tell you where you're going. Right. Because she can be a helpful voice. You know, when we've been so uh, sort of trained, especially like I know I have to be nice, be nice, be nice. Were you nice? Are you being nice? You know, from very early on, that's what we're telling ourselves. And that's sort of the marker of success for us is were we nice? And sometimes there's that little bitch in your head that you need to say like, hey, back it up or don't talk to Mm -hmm. me like that. Or you were a real jerk to me or whatever it is. And so then it's nice when you've actually named her because you can be like, I'm so sorry about the other day. That was not me, but it was the little bitch in my head. Well, and you know, Brene Brown has taught us that clear is kind, right? So if somebody is overstepped, then the the kindest thing we can do is say, well, you've overstepped. Yep. Back off. Yes. And I appreciate it because I can be an overtalker or an oversharer and I appreciate it. When someone says, you know, that joke went too far or you hurt my feelings or uh, whatever it is, I appreciate it. I would much rather have that than somebody at home in the shower being like that Carrie Rosso, what a jerk. I hate her. It's so true. I just had that situation where I overstepped with a friend on an Instagram message. My sarcasm was like over the top that day. I was snarky and it wasn't the good kind of like funny joke. It ended up because she was in a weird place that day and was dealing with a bunch of bad stuff. And my comment, bad times, bad stuff. And she just said, whoa, check your messages. Like I can't receive that right now. Right. And I was so, so glad she didn't stand there and go, what the heck? Right. She just called it out. It was good. It's really good. And that's one thing that we are going to talk about today that we have in common is we both love to gather amazing women together and have these kinds of conversations. And we're both a little crazy enough to say yes to too many things, all the things. Um, And because of that come from a place of yes thing that we do, you've created this amazing project now called the She Said Project. Yep. 
And it's now called the She Said Project because it got too big and too encompassing for your original title of the first event, which was named That's What She Said. Yes. So it it started out as a live show. So two of my friends, we had what we called the Moffas because we invited people in our neighborhood. I realized, so my co-founder, we had both played high school and college sports. And so we'd, we'd gone through our whole lives having sort of a posse of women that have your back and that make you laugh or, you know, are there for you when you need a shoulder, whatever it is. And then you grow up, you get married. And if you decide to work from home or stay home and raise your kids, all of a sudden you don't have a water cooler or a huddle of women giving you butt slaps or high fives or whatever it is that you would get around the water cooler. And all these women in our neighborhood sort of in their own homes without that support system. So we started out of someone's spare bedroom, turned it into an office for all of those ladies in the neighborhood. And we called it the office, the mom office. And in that office, we were constantly saying, that's what she said, because we're all so immature. Somebody would say something and then somebody else. I'm so good that. at that game. That's why we're friends. Yes, yes. So it was sort of this concept and none of us did the same thing. We were all in different fields and we kept thinking, how can we work together? How can we find something to do where we're all working together? And the show was born. I had done the Listen to Your Mother shows, which is thankfully how I met you. And I loved it, loved it, loved it so much. I loved what Ann Emming had created. And I thought, man, I want more of that, more, more, more of that. And we were sitting over serving ourselves on the patio one night and our girls were running around and we were doing that old thing like somebody oughta, somebody woulda, coulda, shoulda. And I thought, man, I don't want to be that person that I grew up and I just was sidelined Steve my whole life, hoping somebody else would make some change. And because we're all somebody, we're all that somebody. And if we're all looking for someone on a white horse, we're, boy, we're in trouble. So watching our girls run around, we sort of, this show was born. This idea, I brought what I had experienced from Listen to Your Mother, and then everyone else had their skill sets, and we wanted to tell all the stories, you know, the funny ones, the sad ones, all the everyday stories, and we didn't want any high-ticket women, just everyday women, so that when the audience would get there, they would see their pastor or their checkout lady or their teacher or their neighbor, and that they would be all ages, because Lord only knows what I said when I was 20 is very different than what I say at 40 and hopefully very different than what I'll say at 80. So we tried to put just this mass diversity of women up there. And I always try, everybody's always like, I'm the one you don't like, right? Because I try to put women I like and I try to every year have at least one woman, not that I don't like, but somebody that I viscerally disagree with because we're becoming so separated and you're with us or you're against us and you're Republican, you're Democrat, you're this, you're that, you're straight, you're gay, you're black, you're white, all these things that get presented to us to separate us. And I fall victim to it. If I see it, you know, something that puts someone in a box, I'm like, "Mm, chocolate lover. Mm, I see. But then if I have somebody in the show, I know at the end of the show, I'm going to love them. So if it's somebody that's really different, that I don't have a good gut reaction to, I put them in the show. It's like, oh, you're an asshole. You want to be in my show <laughs> right away. The, I love that you invite everybody to the show because what I like to say is the only thing we have in common is our imperfection. And so even though I may disagree sometimes violently with somebody's perspective on something, I know there's probably 50 other things that we have completely in common. Yep. Yep. 
And what, at the end of the day, I always tell my kids, like, don't be a jerk. Like, you know, my mind, it's sort of the mom cleaned up version of don't be a dick, you know, like, Mm-hmm. Even if you disagree, agree, whatever it is, just come from a place of kindness and you can be firm and stand tall in whatever it is you believe. But man, you close the door on any conversation or any connection the second you start that hate game. Which yeah. and ain't nobody got time for that. Well, and I think there's there we've done a disservice. It, it was an unintentional consequence. I think that some of the what are referred to as affinity groups, whether it's a women's group or a uh, ethnicity group, whatever it is. Sometimes we've done ourselves a disservice in putting everybody of sameness together, thinking that we're supporting them, which I much prefer that whole just potpourri of all of the different thoughts and colors and kinds. And then let's be curious and learn about each other and try to leave the judgment at home. Like, you know, bring a cooler, but leave your judgment and let's just have a conversation. Um, Because I think the more we put sameness together, the more we validate for ourselves some things that aren't necessarily helpful or true. Like I want somebody to break some of my walls down and and have me see things differently. Right. There's huge power. One of the, um, a a woman that I met on the blogosphere, Jen from people I want to punch in the throat and the title of her blog. Will oh yeah. Yes, it'll throw you. And she's, a I know cookie. but we were in a hotel room one night and it was a bunch of bloggers that are friends. And someone asked why you guys, you know, we're not getting rich. And why do we do this? And we still, to this day, tease her because, you know, she has such a tough girl uh, persona and she started crying and she said, it's for that me too moment. And it was so true. And it was before all of the hashtag me too stuff, because it wasn't just, for the traumatic events in our lives, it is powerful when you're telling something and somebody is either falling out of their chair laughing because it's happened to them too, or it's something serious and somebody else is nodding along like, yep, yep, I understand that. I've been there too. It's a powerful thing. But when we do the show, we always say we want it to be the old analogy of a window and a mirror. So we want you to see at least one speaker that reflects back to you that me too moment. We, but we also want it to be a window where you can see out and think, wow, I could not possibly disagree with that perspective more, but now I've heard it and I can respect that that's where she's coming from because we're all better for it. Instead of hearing, I had uh, a couple years ago, someone left at intermission and sent me a strongly worded email afterward. And <laughs> which means you're doing something yes, right if people are disagreeing yes, with you. She had keyboard courage and she was going to let me know. But I was sad for her that she got up and left during someone's piece because it was a perspective that she didn't agree with. And, you know, this is was touted as a show that was all perspectives. But what she was hoping for was it was just her perspective. She didn't really want to see someone else's, which I've totally been there. I've done it. It's hard to hear. But it made me sad that she left before she could hear the other side, that she left before she could truly sit with it and think, wow, don't agree with that, but let's move along. Who's next? You know, everything, we have to be outraged about every single thing. And I think it's sometimes you have to hear a different perspective to then find it familiar somewhere else. It's kind of like you get a new car. And you're so excited because you think this is the most cool, unique car that's ever been on the planet. And I'm the only one that's got it. 
And then you get on the interstate and you're like, shit, everybody's got this car in the same color. I think new perspectives sometimes can be like that. At first, it can be like, ooh, that's different. But then all of a sudden, once you hear it one time, it starts to breed familiarity in other people's stories. And I think that's the important part of keeping that dialogue open. Well, and sadly, I think so much of our opinion about things, it's often everything comes down to it's all who you love. So if I've never had someone in my life who is gay, and then it's easy to have whatever that judgment is. And sadly, it takes having someone in your life before you go, wow, you know what? I know what that feels like now to love someone. I mean, it would be a beautiful thing if we didn't have to have that. If we just, you know, I wasn't at Auschwitz, but I know it was terrible. But I don't know if it's just because we're human and we have faults, but finding our way to empathy seems to be becoming a longer and longer path for all of us. And isn't it interesting the juxtaposition of that is people like I referenced her already, Brene Brown and others that are writing about vulnerability and authenticity and all of those things that we crave. Like when, when we read her stuff, we can't wait to share it. And we think that's it. I want that. How do I get that? But yet our actions and some of the things that's happening in our society are moving us further away from it. And, and I, like you, in the work that we're doing, am passionate about bringing that sense of courageous vulnerability back into the conversation so that people can show up and not just read about belonging, but anywhere they're in my presence, I want to bring that to whatever event, whatever I'm writing about, whatever I'm hosting. I, that's, I desire that deeply. Yep. Well, and I think it gives people, because there's so much out there that is presented, especially to women, you know, the perfect beach waves and that we're all in our matching pajamas on Christmas morning or our great marble countertops, whatever it is that we, which are all fabulous things, especially if you can master that beach wave thing. But to put it in perspective, <laughs> you know, like, okay, those are great things that we can all love but not to put pressure on ourselves that like, okay, if my countertop, if I haven't seen it since 1984 or whatever it is, that's, you know, that isn't quite picture perfect, that it's okay. And that we can laugh it off and we don't hold ourselves to some polished picture that an influencer, how about that name, by the way, influencer, what the heck? influencer. I know it's fascinating, isn't it? But you know, what you've just described is what I'm trying to teach the difference between striving and thriving. So striving is when there's some external marker that we're going after, whether it's a goal or granite countertops, or I need the relationship that will wear the matching Mm -hmm. jammies or whatever thing outside of us is going to be the thing that says, Oh, I've made it. But yet the word striving comes from the word strife and means battle and conflict. And we use it as this marker of success when nothing could be further from the truth. Because once you've achieved whatever thing you've been striving for, it doesn't give you more than eight seconds of satisfaction usually. And then all of a sudden you're like, okay, now what am I going to go after? Which thriving is different. Thriving is I've got these unique gifts and talents and I'm going to go out into the world and create conditions where I can use them anywhere I go. So it doesn't require me to be in a special relationship or the right countertops or the right job. It's just who I am and where I go. 
Well, and often it's even it's sort of the be careful what you ask for. So we started the She Said project and we had shows and we were expanding to other towns and we had gone to Haiti several times. Everything that I could have written down that I hoped for, for the project and for me personally, everything that I sort of dreamed in my mind's eye that it could be, it was all happening. But the price was, it was happening. <laughs> And I had, and it required a lot of tending and a lot of evenings. And my kids were all young teenagers at the time. And I was walking into a meeting and it was a very fancy meeting. And at the end of that meeting, I would or would not have a big sponsorship, which would have made, it would have been the answer to many, many problems. And as I'm walking in, I get a call from one of my kiddos saying, um, so I arrived at this party and like some bad things are going on. I need you to come and get me. So I had to cancel the meeting and the entire ride to get him, I was so mad. Like, what a little jerk. Did he not realize I was very important and I had a very special meeting? And I got there and I saw him standing on the curb and his face was red and he's taking those big awkward breaths. Like, did I do the right thing? And this is terrible. And I thought, oh man, I am really messing this gig up. I'm I'm turned around. And he got in and that night I had to say, like, I'm done. Everything I wanted is coming true, but I can't do it at the price of this. And so then the show, we went on sort of hiatus. You know, I had to just sort of cancel everything and realize I needed to check myself and what was most important to me. And after a short hiatus, a woman who had been a director in the show said, okay, so you're not there right now. How about I carry this for you? And then when you're at a spot where you're, you can do this and feel good about it, come on back. But right now, I'll carry this for you while I can. And it was the greatest thing ever because I thought I have to say goodbye to this beautiful thing. And everybody was telling you it's the year of yes. It's the year of yes. And I was like, oh, crap. Screw yes. And your internet connection is stable, unstable. So I might creep out here in a second, but we'll hope it works. But it was like, oh, crap. I this is the worst position ever to be in is all the things I wanted. And so then I had a year of no, and it was the greatest year of my life. I could focus. I'm sorry to sound so hokey, but I could focus on my family, on me. I could reevaluate what parts of the project were important for me to have my hands in. And what could I give to other women who were at a spot where they could pick it up and they could carry it. And I thought, wow, what a great life lesson. I've been talking about women supporting women nonstop, and I hadn't given it a chance. I was trying to do it all by myself. And now it's like a much big, bigger project because I was able to put my ego aside and say, okay, you can do this and you can do this. And they're all knocking it out of the park. And I'm sort of the old lady that gets wheeled out at the end of the show and like, no, let's all clap for our old founder now. And I'm like, what's my name again? But it's, just, it's a beautiful thing if I just get out of the way and let things happen. You have just articulated perfectly everything that I'm trying to represent. It's it's that idea of thriving is about reflection and connection. It's you have unique gifts and talents, but you can't do it all. What you can do is combine those with the other people that support you well, because your gifts and talents only have value and relevance when someone receives them as a gift. And you were able to receive that as a gift. So that person that called you probably was nervous about calling you because this was oh, your yeah. show, right? And, and yep. the gift that you gave her was to say, I trust you. 
and yeah, let's do the damn thing. Yep. Yep. And the great thing that. is that, that the women on our team have the grace and courtesy to win. I'm constantly sending texts like, Hey, did you remember about, Hey, don't forget the theater needs, blah, blah, blah. And none of them to the knock on wood have said like, Hey, grandma, back it up, back that truck up. We got this. They put up with all my annoying texts and emails. And I told them, this is the way it is. This is what I do. I will run it. Every idea, I will run it into the ground and think of every bad thing that could happen. And then you all smile and nod and go do what you think is best. But that's my job to be, to sort of rain on everybody's parade and think of the worst possible outcome, because then it's, you can only go up from there. Well, and this is actually a good a well-formed, well-curated group. My friend Jason Barnaby wrote a book called Firestarters, and he has what's called a tribal inventory, where you take a look at the people that are in your tribe, in your group, in your council, whatever you call them, your team. And you identify the kind of personalities you need and all the different types of personalities you need to make a really great group work. So he and I are that those dreamers. Like we've got all of these ideas. And then there's the devil's advocate that's going to come in and say, okay, but have you thought about this and this and this and this? And you need those people, but you need to know that's the role they're playing, right? And right. so that's perfect that you all just know that about each other and you and it works well. It is. It is. I think putting your team together is so important that you have all of those bases covered, that everybody knows their role and that you hold each other to it because nobody needs a bunch of people saying, yeah, 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 because that's me. I will come up with all the ideas and all the big ideas. But early on, we decided we had to have a fishbowl because my husband said we were like the three stooges because we would just roll around like a pile of puppies and like, hey, hey, you want to do a show? Yeah, yeah. Hey, you want to go to Haiti? Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. But somebody eventually has to say, did you all make a business plan? You know, all of those, do you have insurance? Because guaranteed one of you is going to say something to piss off a lot of people. It's coming. It's coming. You better brace for it and prepare for it. So it's good to have all sides in the, in the mix. So the fishbowl is all of the ideas that you're not working on right now. Right. So one of the things that we had early on put in the fishbowl was, um, that's what teens say. Because I kept saying, man, teenagers... Of course, I said this before I had teenagers. Teenagers are awesome. And they, you know, they're not getting a fair shake. You know, it's like everything. I was a much better parent before I had children. But even now, I have four teenagers. And I do feel like, man, it's hard. You know, thank God nobody had iPhones when we were teenagers. Preach. Oh, goodness. And I, I can't imagine what they're going through. And, and I can't connect because I didn't have these experiences when I was 16. And plus, I was terrified of getting in trouble at age 16. So I was basically in, living in fear, being a hall monitor to others. Like, you're not supposed to do that. Your mom would not approve. <laughs> but I was not I was not that teenager. I was the one that you were probably trying to get you out. Well, I did come full circle. Eventually, when I realized that there was nobody keeping a permanent record, I was like, wow, look at this. And then I then I wore out my welcome. But before that, I was a big chicken. But so that was something we had put in the fishbowl. And now we're on, I think, our fourth. That's what teens say, and we've turned it into a weekend. So a group of teenagers that don't know each other arrive on Friday night as strangers. And on Sunday, they brave the microphone 
and they leave as best buddies. And at the end of it, I love every single one of them over this sort of intense weekend. And it's like the show, you know, we meet in my living room for the first time as strangers. And then it ends when we're in the show. And it's just this fast and furious, intense friendship. And by the end, I love every single one of them. And then I'll be driving down the street and I pass someone and I'm like, I love her. I love her. It's, it's just the greatest thing that we can do to connect other people and with each other. Man, it's, it's a pretty good gig. What's really fascinating about this is the way you and I came together is around that listen to your mother show. And then you went off and, and we're doing, that's what she said. And I've recently created a company called We Thrive.Live. And I have a seven month experience that seven women go through. And then it culminates into a big event called Stand Tall in Your Story, which the first one is on March the 5th. I think it's the fifth. I better put that in the show notes to make it right. And those seven what? women will be the ones presenting their story to a theater full of, of women. And it's so fascinating to me that you and I, we started in this, like, we want to tell our stories. We're, we're bloggers, we're writers, we're storytellers. And we go away and we don't see each other for years. And then, you know, come back together. And all of a sudden, I'm looking on social media one day and I'm like, oh my gosh, she's already doing what I'm building. And so I reached out and started watching some of the things you're doing. And same thing, people come to me all the time and say, okay, you got to do this for teens next. And I'm going to have to create my own fishbowl and some things because uh, it does, it's a, it's a lot. But I just, I love that we can have these kinds of experiences that trigger us to do more, right? And it just takes a couple of, you know, being overserved on the in the backyard on the porch watching right. your girls to start an idea. And I think that's the message I want people to leave this podcast and say, nobody knocked on the door and said... Hey, Carrie, I want you to do this thing. Nobody knocked on the door and said, Hey, Rebecca, I think you should build this thing. Like when something burns in your belly and you just decide that you need to do it, you do it. And you just have to accept right out of the gates. Just let's take the guesswork out. You are going to mess up. You are going to fail. There are going to be things that embarrass you and you think, Oh, Lord, please let there not be a record of that. But at the end of the day, you tried, you know, it. it, that really was the process is the most important thing. And just think of those seven women if those seven women take it as permission to follow that, whatever it is, write their book, go back to school, start a show, whatever. Um, a friend of mine always says the rising tide lifts all boats. And that's the gig, you know, like for both of us, there was something burning our belly and Ann Emig sort of lit that fire and like, okay, this was a great thing to participate in hers, but what's my thing going to be? And then the women that are, on your podcast or in my show or whatever it is, somebody who watches or listens. And then for them to go, wow, if she screwed up that valiantly, I can do whatever, you know, always just giving each other permission. Like it doesn't have to be perfect. It doesn't have to be all tied up in a bow, but just go do it. In fact, in fact, perfection blocks connection. So I always look at it as the difference between marbles and puzzle pieces, right? So if there's a bunch of perfectly round, beautiful marbles, and you put those together, they're just going to roll off the table and miss the whole 
connection piece, right? But if you put a bunch of puzzle pieces together that all look kind of jacked up and awful on their own, but when you see how they fit together, then they're not only more beautiful, but they're stronger when you put those things together. Like I, I, my message to those seven women was find the struggle, find the story that you know one or two people in that theater of 150 need to hear. Don't try to come up with a talk that you want, you think everybody needs to hear. But I promise you, there's one or two that are going to walk away changed because you were courageous enough to stand tall in your story. Well, one of my absolute favorite speakers um, was talking about social anxiety and no one could believe that she was going to get up on the stage and do it. And actually at, uh, when it was time to report to stage, I, I think she sat in the parking garage for about 20 minutes, like, nope, nope. I don't know what I was thinking to let you talk me into this. I'm not doing it. And on our podium, I had taped pictures of her kids and said, this is why. And I kept thinking, I just got to get her to that podium. If I can get her to that podium, she's going to do this. And when she first started, her voice was shaky. My name is Jen Cochran, you know, the goat woman voice. I, 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 I. Yeah. And I saw people nodding and people, complete strangers, just sending her love and the like, you got this, you got this. And by the end, she was like hand in the air. She was gesturing and people, after she got her first laugh, it was on. And I was sitting behind her on the stage and I could see her little knees literally knocking together. And that moment of like seeing that and looking out at women I didn't know, encouraging her on, and then looking to my left and to my right at all these women who were willing to get up there and be vulnerable and tell a story. That takes a lot. And it takes a lot to be out there in the audience and to be open and nod and smile and send back to people what you're receiving. It's, it's a pretty sweet gig if we can all just land there and be full of grace for ourselves and for other people and be the nodder. Don't be the person, you know, when you look out and somebody's always looking over their bifocals and like, hmm, with pursed <laughs> lips, like, good Lord, don't be that person. Be the nodder and smile. That's a good, that's a great tagline. Be the nodder. But that's, that's true. I mean, I named my event Stand Tall in Your Story for that exact reason that when we stand tall in our stories courageously, we give others permission to do the same. So, and I love that. You know, okay, we like, got we to gotta figure out a show we can do together. How fun okay, would let's, that be? Let's do that. Let's do it. In the fishbowl. There it is. I was going to say, boom, in the fishbowl. It's in the fishbowl. <laughs> so where can people find out more information about all the things that you're doing? Um, the best one-stop shop is, the website is the she said project.com, but we are most active on Facebook. You, you know, if you follow the She Said Project on Facebook, you can get all of our daily inappropriate jokes or, or words of wisdom or a lot of Brene Brown. I, I drank the Kool-Aid. I'm sorry to say, but there's a lot. I kept rolling my eyes like, what is this? With It's like she's the new Oprah. Like you need other people to tell you to be nice. Seriously. And then I watched her and I was like, well, Brene says, my <laughs> best friend Brene, she told me. And it's like, okay, I've drank, I've, I've gone way down the rabbit hole with Brene, Brene Brown. But, um, so you can find all of those different things on there. Whatever crazy thing we, that we dream up, it'll be on the Facebook page. I took it a step further. One of my friends went and got certified to teach Dare to Lead. So I not only am like a sicko stalker of Brene Brown, I now host Dare to Lead classes all around the country. So I, I see you. I see hey, whatever. you. Me and Brene. I see you. Yeah. Just hang around. Right. 
It's all right. It's all good. Well, I am so thrilled that we've reconnected. And if there's a house that goes up for sale across the street and you want to move to my area, I'll let you know because you're you're one of my favorites. I'm telling you, the mom office, do it. Okay. And that's a great that's a great takeaway for today's episode too. We've given so many things that you can just go do. It doesn't have to, in fact, it shouldn't be perfect. It should just be your thing. Go do it. Go do it. Even when you're scared, that's the do it anyway is sort of my driving force. Like, yep, you might pee your pants. Yep, you might vomit. Yep, you might sit in your car for 20 minutes before going in. All of that. Yep, yep, yep. But at the end of the day, the final answer is, but do it anyway. Okay, plot twist. Because people were thinking, oh, they're wrapping up. They've given where she can she connect with you. But okay, I'm going to go one more place right now. Because this is this is part of what I'm writing about and trying to decide how this plays into the book that I'm I'm working on. I think there are some fundamental things as parents that we have done a disservice to kids generally. And that's that we didn't tell them enough about everybody's afraid and everybody messes up and everybody falls down because we were inspiring and we were, you can do it, go get them, try harder, all the things. And one of the things you said before we started recording is your daughter even said, gosh, Mom, do you ever get embarrassed? And the fact that you're modeling for your daughter and your kids, all your kids, that it's okay just to be silly and just to mess up. And that's part of the gig. Oh, yeah. Well, and that that was a long time coming for me. So I had always vowed in my imaginary family life that we would um, we would never fight in front of our kids. And I, I put a ton of energy into creating that sort of perfect, like I never told them. Like I struggle with this or I struggle with that. And one time um, when they were really little, my husband, I said something, my husband, nah, 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 just because you're mad at me. And he said um, to me, yeah, you know what? I am mad at you. Just like that in that tone. And all four of my kiddos, it was like end times are here. They're all crying. Are you guys getting divorced? And my sister, who's a therapist, so I get you know a family discount. She's like, I told you. <laughs> I told you, you're, it's, what you're presenting to them is not real. They need to see that, yes, you fight, that, yes, you say things, and this is how you appropriately work it out. Stop giving them this fantasy idea because nobody, it's so unattainable, and you're not doing them a service by shielding them from anything ugly in life. So now I just, you know, right out of the gates, we just fight just to send a message. <laughs> no, we really, we really don't. We don't. But I'm, I'm a lot more laid back after seeing how traumatic it was for them to actually see some real life of us disagreeing. And it's the same with, I really didn't, I'd sworn everybody from my past not to tell my kids any of the things that I had done. And then I realized like when they're going through the teenage years, it's hard for them to take what I say with any seriousness because they don't know that I stood behind somebody's barn and, you know, hot boxed a box of Marlboros or whatever it was, you know, I totally did. But they, you know, when I've spent my whole life being, you know, like just telling them the rules and what the best thing is, I miss out, they miss out and it just isn't real. Absolutely. And then you couple that with what they get on social media. We talked about earlier about the matching jammies and all the influencer messages. And if we aren't real in our own families, then we've not created any place where they can look to where they feel like they fit because everybody's screwed up 
and imperfect and struggling. And they've got to have some place where they go, oh, it's okay to be that. Yeah. And if you can create that at home, yeah. that's, that's what they need. Well, and to just be, I, I tell my kids all the time, like there'll be 10 people that you'll meet that will say, Carrie Rosso is the nicest. She's the greatest. I love her. And you'll also find 10 people that say she is the biggest bitch you will ever meet. And that's good. That just means like, whatever you want to be kind and fair and decent in the world, but you're not going to be everybody's cup of tea. And, and that's all right. You just move along. Yeah. And I think you and I both do a good job of using humor to kind of disarm and, and back things down a little bit. You know, I went through a, if we, our family went through a divorce about four years ago and no matter how you slice it, divorce is the worst thing ever. Like it sucks bad. And there was just, you know, trying to open up the lines of communication. And there was just a few times we'd be in the, you know, rare times around the counter where teenagers are so busy. And I'd be like, hey, how's everybody doing? And they just look at me like, oh, dear God, please don't go into this. Like, there <laughs> right. And I'd say, okay, checklist. Anybody go to juvie this week? And they'd all shake their head no. Anybody pregnant or get anybody else pregnant this week? And they'd shake their head no. And I'm like, good, we're killing it in this post-divorce thing. Nailed it. Nailed it. Like, just try to laugh and just open up some communication that just says, man, this sucks. Well, sometimes the hardest thing is if you can laugh first, then so one of my co-founders and I, a good friend of ours, had to have some, she had melanoma in the crack of her fanny. So I'm, I'm sorry, <laughs> melanoma, not funny, but in the crack of your fanny, I'm sorry, but that's funny. And so we made a rap video for her called melanoma. Uh, uh. And I'm telling you, it was the greatest thing ever. We had organizations to, that were fighting melanoma. And can we play your video about the melanoma in the crack of her ass? Yes, sir. You may. You certainly may. Because it, it disarms you like while you're in the trauma of I have melanoma in the crack of my ass. But then your friends are singing a song called Mel to the, you know, the old song diarrhea uh -uh, to that tune. Then like you can't do that and be too serious. You have to know that women have your back or crack, whatever, if they're making up a rap video for your fanny. Amen. Oh my gosh. I am literally dying over here. One of the things that they tell you in podcasting is don't laugh at the same time or talk at the same time that your guest is talking because that's really hard to edit. And the fact that I'm trying not to just bust a gut right now is killing me. That's hysterical. But that's that's the stuff. Like that's how we get through. Life is fun. Have melanoma in the crack of our ass. Uh, oh uh. my gosh. Okay. Now we do have to wrap it up because where do you go after that? That's it. Mic drop. <laughs> That's the You're the best. <laughs> Thank you for having me. This has been so fun. You fancy podcaster. I know I am. And we will do this again. Yes. At some random time that we just both decide because the fishbowl said yep. we should do it again. Yep. Just before our, our joint show. And I don't mean Let's joint do in weed. You know, our joint show. <laughs> That's a whole different audience. Or maybe it's the same one. I don't know. I don't drug test my audience. Do you? No, no. No, no. We have to go now. I'm not coming down. Did I not warn you? Oh my gosh. I do wish she was my neighbor. Of course, maybe not. My business would be in the tank because I'd be over there hanging out at her kitchen counter all the time. I love, love, love this woman. 
please go check out all the links of the things that Carrie and her Moffis group are doing and um, follow along with their journey because it's a good one. Thanks for being here. And don't forget to register. Stand tall in your story. March the 5th, the Cabaret Theater in Indianapolis. Make it a great day. I'm not coming down. I never liked it on the ground. I'm not coming down. I want to